The First United Methodist Church is a church of open hearts, open minds, and open doors, seeking to help everyone come to know Jesus Christ, both in Altamont and around the world. Our worship services are at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, and all are welcome in person after the COVID crisis, but now online at our YouTube channel, Altamont First UMC. You can also find the link on Facebook at our Facebook page, First United Methodist Church Altamont. We will begin worship shortly.
Good morning and welcome to worship at First United Methodist Church in Altamont. I am Reverend Paige Campbell, and it is good to be together in spirit and truth as we worship our God. I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning, and I invite you to do whatever you need to do to not only make yourself comfortable, but to prepare your heart for worship. Perhaps you have a candle that you light at this time. Uh, perhaps you just need to take a deep breath and let out all the worries and the activity of the week so that your soul is fully open to the moving of the Holy Spirit. So as I light our worship candles, I invite you to prepare your hearts for worship. I also invite you to let us know that you have joined us this morning by liking or, or commenting on whatever streaming platform it is that you are watching from. Now is the time when we gather around this, our Advent wreath, uh, to continue to count down uh, the time before the arrival of the Christ child. So we have some words for that that you get to join in with. And so I will be reading the words that are in white, and you are invited to read the words that are in yellow. And then at the end, we will be lighting our wreath, two blue candles, and the one pink candle. And if you have a wreath at home, I invite you to light it at this time as well. We want everything to look nice. The decorations of the season, our homes with their lights and tinsel, wreaths and ribbons. We want to lighten the darkness around us, bring beauty to the ugliness that wears us down. We decorate because it is tradition, because it lifts our hearts, because it makes us feel like children again. We deck our halls because company is coming. The prophet Isaiah smiled when he said, God will give a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. No matter how far we feel from the spirit of the season, God promises to decorate us with love and with joy. We light these candles as a sign of our joy in the beautiful things of the season, not just the things that glitter and flash, but the deeper things, the beauty of the heart and the soul, the beauty of love shared in service and hospitality. We light this candle of joy because company is coming. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Let us sing. Let us pray. Lord God, we've come together again to give you thanks and praise, to open our hearts to your Holy Spirit, to be both revitalized, Lord, and to be challenged, to be filled with your Spirit and to be emptied of our sin. So God, bless this time. Help us to feel you, to see you, to hear you, in this time 
in this space as we await the Christ child in this Advent season. Amen. Our first hymn is Lift Up Ye Heads, Ye Mighty Gates. It's number 213 in the United Methodist Hymnal, and I invite you to sing along. to gather now for some children's time. And I don't know if you've been looking out on um, the, the altar area here and you've, you have noticed some strange things over the last few weeks. Well, first of all, we have this here on the altar. And what is this? Well, this is an empty manger. And then up here on our nativity set, we also have an empty manger. Now, who would normally be lying there in that warm blanket in that warm manger? manger? Say it out loud. Jesus. Exactly. In fact, I have our Jesus here. He would be sitting here like that. So why have I taken him out? Why isn't he sitting there right now? Any guesses? because it's not Christmas yet. Jesus hasn't been born yet. And so while at home in my nativity sets at home, and I have quite a few, um, Jesus is snuggled warm in his manger. Here in the church, we remember that we're waiting for Jesus to come, that he's not here yet. We celebrate his birth on Christmas Eve, but this time, is our time of waiting. And nobody likes to wait, do they? I bet you all are already excited for Christmas, for things like your favorite foods, um, for maybe seeing some family, whether it's in person or online, or am I forgetting something? Is there something else that you really like about Christmas maybe? Oh, maybe gifts? I don't know. But this is our time of waiting. This week in our family Advent devotion, um, it talked about how we need to learn how to do things in God's time. How so often we want things right away, but that God sometimes has us wait. And we don't always understand God's time. The people of Israel didn't understand God's time. They waited for a savior for a very long time. And then when they did get a savior, Jesus, he wasn't at all what they expected. But he was still born on that wonderful night, surrounded by parents who loved him, with visitors who came to offer worship and praise. 
but we're not there yet. We're still waiting. We're still excited. The big word for this is anticipating the time when Jesus will be here. And so as you might get a little antsy and impatient as we get closer, I invite you to just take a deep breath and remember God's time. That's not time yet, but God is with us in every moment of our waiting. Let's pray together. Lord, sometimes it's hard to wait. No, 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 Lord. It's almost always hard to wait. And you know that. Help us to remember as we wait for Christmas and other things in our lives that you have a timing, you know what's best and when it's best. Help us to trust that, to lean into it, and to know that no matter how long we wait, you are waiting alongside us every moment. Amen. So now I'm going to go put Jesus back in his safe little place until Christmas Eve. Part of what we do when we worship together as a church is we give back. We give praise, we give prayers, but we also give our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. And this is a time when we give back our gifts. So I want to thank all of you who have been mailing in your tithes and your offerings to the church. Um, If you would like to do that, if you consider us your home church and are ready to respond by supporting us, you can send your offerings to First United Methodist Church, 308 North 2nd Street in Altamont, Illinois, 62411. And so in thanksgiving for all that God has given us and in blessing for that which we give back to God, let us sing our response together. things to be praying for this week. I invite you, of course, to look at the prayer list that is on the back of the bulletin. You can get a copy of the bulletin from our Facebook page or from the email that was mailed out to you. But of course, we want to continue to pray for those we know who are sick, uh, both with the COVID-19. What are we calling this now? A a disease? uh, Just an awful? (laughs) Um, And those who are just ill who are struggling with diseases such as cancer, heart disease, and other things. Of course, we want to pray for those for whom this is a very lonely time of year, for those who are grieving, for those who have lost jobs, for those who are separated from family, for those who are looking for a safe place to stay and enough to eat. Let us remember all of them as well. I invite you now into a few moments of personal prayer time.
O gracious creator, O gracious redeemer, O God, our Father. This morning, Lord, we lift up our prayers for ourselves and for our world. Lord, there is so much sin in the world, so many places where we have strayed from your path. Lord, I have strayed from your path this week. We have strayed from your path this week. Lord, please forgive us. Mend our hearts. Help us turn in the right directions. Lord, forgive us for our sins. Lord, help us to open our eyes, our ears, our mouths, and our hands to help those who are in need. Lord, we pray for those who mourn. We pray for those who hunger. We pray for those who are sick. We pray for those who are in danger. Lord, we pray for those who are seeking peace, who are providing care, who are holding the hands of the sick, for those who are working for justice. Lord, we pray that your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, especially in these days of waiting Lord, we're doing a lot of waiting. We're waiting on, on the birth of your son, Jesus Christ, and we are waiting for the COVID vaccine. Lord, we are waiting to come back together, God. And oh, Lord, can it be now? Lord, help us with our waiting. Help us to know your time. Help us to be confident that in your time, your will be done. And so, Lord, we pray for those who are working to bring your kingdom here on earth. Lord, we pray for health care providers, Lord, who are battling the COVID virus. Lord, we pray for the, the scientists and those who are creating a vaccine. Lord, we pray for our government agencies and leaders who are seeking to, to sh- share the vaccine and also just to lead us during this difficult time. God, we pray for churches, Lord, that they are still able to share your love even in a new and different way. We pray for our church, God. We pray for churches across Illinois, Lord, and around America, God, and around the world. This is our time, God, to shine your light. Help us, God, to do that in a great and mighty way, in a different way but no less great and mighty. Help us, Lord, to share your grace, your forgiveness, and your love. We pray all these things and more. And now we join our voices together to pray to you, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As you know, for Advent this year, I have been preaching a series from a book called Incarnation, Uh, by the Reverend Adam Hamilton. And he himself is preaching this very same sermon series at his church, uh, at the church that he pastors and leads, which is called the United Methodist Church of the Resurrection in Leewood, Kansas, with several satellite churches across the Kansas City area. And he has graciously offered to all of us um, his own sermon from his series, which is called um, Incarnation, Emmanuel in the Midst of a Pandemic. I love Adam Hamilton's preaching and all that he has to share. So I gladly share this message from him for all of us. 
Here's the Reverend Adam Hamilton from the United Methodist Church of the Resurrection sharing his message, Emmanuel in the Midst of a Pandemic. I want to begin by welcoming all of the congregations who are using this sermon across the United States. Uh, it's a joy. We offered this to pastors so they'd have a chance to just have a little bit of a break and uh, during this season. And uh, I'm thrilled to be joining you as your guest preacher, even as I'm preaching to the Church of the Resurrection here in the Kansas City area. Thank you for allowing me to join you and allowing us to be a part of your ministry today. So we're in the midst of a series of sermons in which we've been focusing on incarnation, rediscovering the meaning of Christmas. And we've been looking at the titles that were given to Jesus in the nativity stories in the Gospels. So in Matthew and Luke's Gospel and their story of the birth of Jesus, and also in the prologue to John's Gospel. And today we're going to focus our attention on that title, Emmanuel. And we're going to come to understand what it means and how it impacts our lives and what it calls forth from us today. But I want to begin by recognizing that we live in a time in which there's a lot of fear, anxiety in the air and that relates to the adversity that we're experiencing in life. So uh, in the last month, we have seen the number of COVID cases increasing dramatically. We've seen the number of deaths increasing. We've seen hospitals that were overflowing in places. I've been talking with hospital workers in the last week and they've been describing how exhausted they are mentally, physically, emotionally exhausted. And, and the numbers just keep rising for them. And, and then looking at people who are working in other frontline positions, especially those who are working in with senior adults in assisted living in particular in, uh, in skilled care centers where, where people are working for modest incomes and never imagined that they were going to be putting their lives in harm's way as they go in to work every day. I mean, it's exhausting. One, one uh, area skilled, ser, uh, skilled care center near us, uh, 24 people with COVID right now in, in that nursing care center. I mean, this is exhausting for people. And for the rest of us, you know, we're, we're tired of social isolation. We're tired of not being with each other. We're, we're tired of being afraid. We experience this in our lives. And, uh, and so a study was done last month. The Gallup organization had done a survey in 2019 asking Americans to describe their mental health. And then they repeated the same study in November of 2020. And what they found was that the number of people who described themselves as having excellent mental health, which is actually a majority of Americans described themselves as having excellent mental health, but the number who said that in 2020 had declined by nine points, nine points. And in some categories, some groups of people, it had declined by 15 points. Now, what was interesting is there was only one group of people, one category of people who actually reported that their numbers, you know, the number of people who were uh, reporting themselves as excellent, uh, their mental health is excellent, uh, grew by four points. Uh, it was up instead of down were people who were regular churchgoers, not just regular, weekly churchgoers. So regular didn't really count, didn't make much of a difference. But weekly churchgoers reported that, that you know, the numbers of people who reported they had excellent mental health up by four points, which tells us that there's some connection between mental health and well-being and our faith and a, and a deeply devout faith in which we are weekly seeking to worship God. So we're going to try to unpack that today as well. So I want to remind you again, we're going to talk about Emmanuel. Emmanuel comes from a Hebrew word, which means God is with us. God is with us. Can you say that with me? God is with us. If, uh, if, if somebody asks you, what does Emmanuel mean? You're going to know the answer. Emmanuel means God is with us. And this word, unlike the other titles for Jesus, which appear over and over again in scripture, this word appears only two times in the entire Bible. The very first time is about 700 years before Jesus is born, 735 years before Jesus is born, 735 BC. And it's Isaiah who's living and ministering in and around Jerusalem. And he speaks this word as a promise from God and a sign from God will be a child whose name will be called Emmanuel. I want to I want to help you understand the historical context for that. And then it'll help us understand why Jesus is called Emmanuel. So in 735 BC, the Holy Land had been divided. Israel had been divided into two smaller kingdoms. The northern kingdom was called Israel. Its capital was Samaria. The southern kingdom was called Judah. Its capital was Jerusalem. Let me show you on a map. So uh, this is what had been the kingdom of Israel, which is now two kingdoms, the kingdom of Israel you see here and the kingdom of Judah you see here. All right, they're cousins, they're, they're all family and yet they can't get along. And then there's another kingdom I want you to notice, it's the kingdom of Aram up here, all right? So what happens in 735 BC is the kingdom of Aram and the kingdom of Israel have said, uh, we are going to throw off 
the, uh, the bonds of our oppressors, the Assyrian Empire. Now, the Assyrians had, had allowed them to have some degree of self-rule, but they controlled the area and they collected massive taxes from the people of Aram, the people of Israel, and the people of Judah. And so the kings of Aram and Israel said, hey, let's, let's get Judah to join us, and we're going to see if we can defeat the Assyrians. And, uh, and when they approached King Ahaz in Jerusalem, they said, hey, will you join us? We're going to throw off the, you know, the Assyrian power. And Ahaz says, no way. We're just going to be crushed if we do that. We're not, I'm not going to do that. And so the kings of uh, Israel and Aram decided that they would defeat Ahaz. They would battle Ahaz first. They would kill the king, put in a new king who would be favorable to their ideas. And then all three of these kingdoms would fight against the Assyrians. And, and the impact that that had on Ahaz and the people of Jerusalem, it terrified them. So we read this in Isaiah 7 too. The hearts of the people shook as the trees of a forest shake when there is a wind. When they were terrified by these two kingdoms going to come against them uh, and try to overpower them. And it was then that God said to Isaiah, go talk to the king. And this is the message I want you to give him. Listen, the Lord will give you a sign. The young woman is pregnant and is about to give birth to a son and she will name him Emmanuel. He will eat butter and honey and learn to reject evil and choose good. Before the boy learns to reject evil and choose good, the land of the two kings you dread will be abandoned. I mean, what a promise. Ahaz, don't be afraid because those two kingdoms are going to be destroyed. You don't have to worry about them. And this little boy who's about to be born, so this isn't a prophecy in Isaiah's mind or Ahaz's mind about a baby who would be born 735 years later. It's about a woman who's pregnant then. And it might have been the king's, one of the king's wives in his harem. It might have been the prophet's wife. But somebody's pregnant. And, and Isaiah says, and she's going to have a baby boy. And you're to call that name. She's going to call that child Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And he will be a sign to you that God is with you. So you don't have to be so afraid in the face of these two kingdoms threatening you. And, and then he says, and I promise you this, that before the child is old enough, you know, before he's old enough to choose right from wrong, which could have been three or four years old, it could have been 13 years old, the sort of age when you become a grown-up that before he reaches that age, these two kingdoms will be destroyed. So, so this was a word of hope. And I wanted to show you on a map here what happens next. So, uh, so here again, we have Judah down here in this area, and we have Israel up in this area over here, and we have Aram up here. And uh, these two start marching against uh, the kingdom of Israel. And, uh, and in three years, now we're just going to step back a little bit. Here's Judah, here's Israel, here's Aram, and here is the massive kingdom of Assyria. And when they try to throw off the, the, the uh, taxes of the Assyrians, the Assyrian army comes with their king and they destroy the kingdom of Aram. And 12 years later, 10 years later, they come and they destroy the kingdom of Israel, leaving only Judah and its capital. I'll just take it here. Leaving only Judah and its capital of Jerusalem intact. The very thing that God had promised for Isaiah and that that child was to bear witness to, that God is with you, he is Emmanuel, and before he's old enough to, to know right from wrong, these two kingdoms will be destroyed, happened. It happened in 722 BC when the northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed. All right, so that was the prophecy. But listen, it had a much deeper meaning to Matthew. So Matthew is writing his gospel maybe 60, 70 years after Jesus is born. And Jesus has died. He's risen from the grave. He's been in heaven for 40 years. And Matthew's writing this gospel and he's telling the story of the birth of Jesus. And when he's trying to help his readers understand the significance of Christmas, the significance of Jesus, and we are his modern day readers, he wants us to understand this. This is what he does. He draws from this obscure text in Isaiah chapter 7. And then this is what we read. As he's telling the story of the birth of Jesus, he says this. Now all of this, that is the events surrounding the birth of Jesus, took place so that what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. I love that. Now a couple of things have changed. Emmanuel is spelled with an E instead of an I because this is from the Greek instead of the Hebrew. Same word though. Uh, and, and in this text, the young woman who was going to have a child is now a virgin. So the word is, you know, he's looking now at Mary, who is a virgin. And so he's seeing this. And the young woman then is a virgin. Now it's the Virgin Mary, and she's going to give birth. And this child will be named Emmanuel. Now, Mary doesn't call Jesus Emmanuel. Nobody calls him Emmanuel in the New Testament. This word only appears once in Matthew's gospel, as Matthew is trying to tell us the significance of the birth of this child. So here's what I want us to recognize. He wants us to get this that Jesus was God with us in a much deeper and more profound way than that child who lived in Isaiah and Ahaz's day. And this is where we get to the idea of the incarnation. The incarnation to incarnate means to enflesh. 
right? If you have chili con carne, it's chili with meat. And so to incarnate means to put meat on something, on an idea, a concept, a truth, or in this case on God. That God has taken on flesh in Jesus. He's been born like one of us, as one of us, to walk among us, to show us that God exists, to say God is with you. Jesus is the sign. He is, a, he is the, the very incarnation of God to say to all who believe in him, God is and God is with you. And this is what God is like, and this is God's will for your life. And God suffers and dies that you might know grace and forgiveness. And God is raised from the dead to say, Jesus is raised from the dead to say that the worst thing isn't the last thing and there's always hope. All of this is bound up in Jesus, right? God has come to us in Jesus. It's a a mind-boggling concept, and I'll tell you, it it is the scandal of the Christian faith. Like any other faith, any other religion out there, the idea for Judaism, for Islam, that God would actually become flesh, it's scandalous. But it is our scandal that God cared enough about human beings that God would seek to help us know that he is with us all the time, to know what he's like and know his will for our lives. So, you know, God is everywhere. God, God, God you know, infuses the entire cosmos and stands outside of it. Did all of God get, get you know, become incarnate in the, in the babe Jesus? No, the essence of God, the essential stuff of God is in Jesus. And at the same time, God still permeates everything. And Christians talk about this in terms of the Trinity, right? Another mind-boggling, mind-blowing concept that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, and God the Son enters into human flesh. Right? God has come to us in Jesus. And when he grows up, he does all the kinds of stuff that only God can do. He walks on water. He, he calms the wind and the waves and the storms. He opens the eyes of the blind. He raises the dead. Right? And he forgives sins. And he speaks with authority because he speaks as God himself enfleshed in our midst. I had a, a woman I spoke to this week. Uh, she had reached out to me on Facebook as a regular part of our congregation. She lives in another state, but she worships with us every week. And she said, uh, Pastor, I just am struggling with my faith. I lost a good friend. And I am really, I'm struggling. Again, I just want to know, why doesn't God just show up? If God would just show up, I mean, how, why is it so hard? Why doesn't God just show up? And I said, you know, you, you ask a question that many people have asked me before. And a young man asked me this earlier this last year. He asked me, uh, a college student, he said, I just, you know, want to know, like, have you ever seen God, Adam? And I said, uh, well, you know, first of all, you got to remember God, God permeates the entire universe, which is 93 billion light years across. A light year is how fast light travels at 186, or how far light travels at 186,000 miles a second across the course of a year. And there were 93 billion light years across and God fills all of that. So it'd be like asking me, have I ever seen air? I don't see air, but I breathe it. I experience it. I'm alive because of it. That's how I think about God. He permeates everything. But I look around at the creation all around me, and I think that's evidence of God. I mean, look, this, this, this universe is ordered, and it's beautiful, and it's mathematical, and, it's, and all of this points me towards the God who, in whom I live and move and have my being, according to the Apostle Paul. So, so then I said, uh, in addition to that, I felt God's presence in my life. And I, I turned to this woman. I said, you know, have you ever felt God's presence? And she nodded and she said, yes, on our Zoom call. She said, yes, I, I do feel God's presence. And I said, me too. There are moments where I felt like God nudged me to do something and I did it. And I was just in the right place at the right time. And, and I felt myself right in the middle of what God was doing. And there are times I hear the still small voice of God. And sometimes I feel overwhelmed by the love of God. And sometimes I feel nothing. But I felt enough, enough times that I feel like I've seen God in my experiences of God. I said, then I think about, and the primary way that I see God is through Jesus. Because as Christians, we believe that God came and took on flesh and lived among us, walked as a human being. And so the gospel writers saw him, or, you know, not all of them, but several of the gospel writers, if Matthew and Mark uh, were a part of the, you know, were actually written by Matthew and Mark, if John was written by John, then they saw Jesus, right? And, and And the apostles and everyone who was ministered to by him, they saw him. And when they looked at him, they saw God. So Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And, and Paul says, in him, all of the fullness of God dwelt bodily or dwelt, dwelt in bodily form. So we Christians, we look at Jesus, we say, yeah, we've seen God. We see him in, this, you know, in the stories of what he did when he walked on this earth. We see what God is like and who God is and God's will for our lives. That's the incarnation. And, and then I shared with this young man earlier this year, I said, you know, but here's the thing. When God came and actually did what you'd like him to do, that he just showed up, you know what human beings did to him? like the most pious human beings among his people. They accused him of blasphemy and they crucified him. That's what happened when God showed up in the way we would like. So we look at Jesus and we believe and we trust in him and we say that God is with us. He is Emmanuel. He came to remind us God is with us all the time. And Jesus said before he left, you might not see me, but I'm with you all the time, even to the end of the age. 
And so in my own life, when I face fear and anxiety and adversity, and I feel those all the time, you know, I put my trust in him. I say, Jesus, I'm yours. I trust that you're with me. I, I trust that you are the person that I read about in the gospels and you show me what God is like because you are God the son. And, and when I sing, when I pray, when I worship, I find his peace begins to come into my life. When I'm opening the gospels and I read those stories. Several months ago, I shared a, a sermon in which I, I sang to you a part of a song. I sing it all the time, not all the time, but I sing it quite, quite frequently. It comes from Isaiah chapter 12, verse two and following. And I'm not a very good singer, but when I sing this, I've been singing it this week. When I feel my heart anxious and I sing it, I find a peace. It goes like this. Surely it is God who saves me. I will trust in him and not be afraid. For the Lord is my stronghold and my sure defense. And he will be my savior. I sing that over and over again sometimes. And all of a sudden I feel his presence and I know he is my savior and he's my stronghold and my sure defense. And I'm not afraid when I put my trust in him. Jesus came to show us what God is like, that God is with us and that God ultimately will triumph over whatever it is that stands before us. I wanna remind you, human beings have always been afraid and, and fear is a good thing. I mean, it helps us, it saves us and protects us, but often we fear things that never come to pass, right? Or, or that fear is debilitating instead of leading us to action. So I was looking at what people are afraid of right now, and, and this week I was looking at several surveys that had come out in, in October and November. 55% of Americans, and actually it fluctuates between 50 and 65% of Americans are afraid of contracting COVID. That's pretty understandable. So that's meant to lead us to wear our masks and to be careful about where we're, you know, how we're engaging with one another. 65% of Americans over age 40 are afraid of dementia and losing their mental faculties. A record number of Americans right now are afraid of being victims of a crime. And what's particularly interesting about that is while we have a record number of people afraid of being victims of a crime, the number of people who actually report being victims of a crime is at a 20-year low. So somehow what we're afraid of and what the reality is is often very, very different. Uh, contracting COVID, you have a very small chance of contracting COVID, especially if you're careful. And then a much smaller chance of dying from COVID. But, but the fears take hold in our lives anyway. We fear other things. We fear not being loved. We fear being rejected. We fear being alone. We fear darkness and meaninglessness and purposelessness. So I want to remind you of God's consistent words in scripture to people who are afraid. Isaiah 41.10, God says, don't fear because I am with you. Don't be afraid for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you with my righteous right hand. Don't you love that? God's speaking that. You read those words and you meditate upon them and you recognize God is promising that to you as well. He's saying that to the children of Israel in the midst of a very dark time for them. In Genesis 26, 24, when Isaac was harassed by the Philistines, God appeared to him in a dream and said this, don't be afraid because I am with you. Right? He might not be able to see God, but God was promising, I promise you I'm with you. Or, uh, or when the Israelites were preparing to enter the promised land and Joshua offers these words to the Israelites, you know, yes, the people are giants in the land and there's fortified cities, but listen, don't be alarmed or terrified, he says, because the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. Right? Or, or when Jesus uh, saw his disciples in the distance, they were on the Sea of Galilee in their fishing boat in the middle of the night and the storms were coming and, and they were afraid they were gonna be lost at sea and Jesus walks on the water. And do you remember what he says to them? Don't be afraid because I'm with you. I'm with you. And of course, the psalmist repeated this again and again and we've repeated his words many times. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. You are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's when we trust in God, we're not afraid. We remember that he's our stronghold. We remember that he came to us in Jesus. And because he came to us in Jesus, we trust that God is. Because we see what Jesus did, what he said, we see his death and his resurrection. We trust that God loves us, that God cares about us, that God forgives us, that God can heal us, that God has a purpose and a plan for our lives. We, we remember that no matter what happens, the worst thing is never the last thing. Because God came to us in Jesus, Emmanuel, he was the sign. He was the one who incarnated the very presence of God for us. Our granddaughter Stella is six years old. She spent the night on Tuesday night 
and uh, she does every Tuesday night. And I was, I do a Vespers from 9.30 to 10 o'clock, or I'm sorry, from uh, 7.30 to 8 o'clock Central Time on Facebook Live. And I was, uh, had just finished the Vespers. And I told uh, this last Tuesday night, I said, you know, uh, my granddaughter, I'm getting ready to put her to bed and, and we pray together. And then, and then uh, I know somewhere in the middle of the night, there's a high likelihood she's going to wake up with a bad dream and come wake me up. And sure enough, that's what happened. So I went to put her to bed after the Vespers. And I read to her from Charlotte's Web. Then I read to her two Bible stories. And then, and then we turned off the lights and I prayed with her and kissed her goodnight. And we, we, uh, that night, I said, you know, I know sometimes you have bad dreams, but I just want you to remember Jesus is here to rescue you. He's here to save you. He's your deliverer. He loves you. Just remember he's here. Just remember he's with you all the time. And, uh, and then we prayed the Lord's Prayer together, and uh, I told her goodnight. And so, you know, three in the morning, I, I went to bed about midnight, three in the morning, I hear a voice next to my bed, and Stella says, Papa, are you awake? Papa, are you awake? Well, I am now, honey. What do you need? She said, I had a bad dream. And LaVon woke up and she said, hey, let me take her to bed because I know you just came to bed. I said, no, this is one of my favorite things about being a papa. And I swooped her up in my arms and I carried her upstairs and I laid her carefully in her bed. I laid next to her for a minute and I took her hand and I said, Stella, I want you to remember, Jesus is here with you all the time. You don't have to be afraid. Now, here's the thing about children, about all of us really, is even though we know Jesus is with us all the time, he is Emmanuel, God with us, sometimes we need people with flesh to help us remember that. I remember a, a pastor once uh, told the story of uh, his little girl who was um, scared in the middle of the storm at night and she came, the pitter-patter of her little feet and she came in and, Papa, Daddy, uh, not Papa, but Daddy, Daddy, you know, I'm scared of the storm. And, and he said, Honey, you know, you don't have to be afraid. It's just a storm and Jesus is with you and he's stronger than the storm. And she said, I know Jesus is with me, but right now I need somebody with skin. Well, there are times where we need people with skin to remind us that God is and that he's with us. And there are times that people you know and many people you don't know need someone with skin to come along to embody God's love, to embody Christ's presence, to be Emmanuel for them, like Emmanuel of Isaiah's day, right? To remind them by our actions and our words that God is with us. Can I give you a few examples? So Paul first of all, captures this idea. And he says, this is really what it means to be the church. So Paul describes the work of God's people working together, living out their faith in the world. And he calls us the body of Christ. We are the physical incarnation of Jesus in the world. That's what it means to be the church. So every church is meant to be that for each other. We are Christ for each other. We are reminders that God is with us. And then we go out and we live out our faith in such a way that the world can see God. The world can see Jesus through us and how we live our lives. I saw that this last week I was uh, visiting with a few folks at a nonprofit organization called COVID uh, Care Force. So COVID Care Force was started by a man named Gary Morsh, a remarkable guy. He's a physician and, and uh, he started a group, an organization called Heart to Heart, mobilizing doctors and, and pharmaceutical companies to be able to deliver medical care and medications in disaster areas around the world. And, uh, and then this year, he started this new nonprofit called COVID Care Force, and he did so because he recognized that there were Native American communities across the United States who were experiencing COVID-positive uh, diagnoses at a rate 3.5 times higher than the rest of the population, than the general population. And so he said, you know, we've got to do something about this. But there are areas where there weren't very many doctors or nurses and people live some distance from each other. And some places not even served by electricity, even to this day in, in the United States. And so he thought, I wonder if I could get volunteers, nurses and doctors, respiratory therapists to volunteer to go to these communities. He thought he didn't need as many doctors as he thought, but he did need more nurses than he thought. And since that time, they've sent out 40 teams of nurses who take two weeks vacation to go out and work with people who may be COVID positive or may be at risk of being COVID positive to care for them. Respiratory therapists for those who are sick have been diagnosed with COVID. And so uh, all of these folks have been sending out. It's really just an amazing, amazing story. I wanted you to see a few of the pictures. So uh, here's a couple of these folks who are serving in one of the communities. So they're in Colorado, uh, they're in New Mexico, Arizona, uh, they're in South Dakota and, uh, and in Oklahoma. So I'm not sure where these guys are, but two young people have gone out to say, I'm here to serve people at no, they, they get no salary from this. Let's go to the next picture. And, uh, and I love this. This is a nun at the St. Joseph Center. I'm not even sure which state she's in. And she's got two of these young nurses who are volunteering or respiratory therapists who are volunteering to work with the people in her community. Let's go to the next one. And I love these nurses who are there at Winslow Indian Healthcare Center. You know, and they've taken time away from their families and time away from work. They're taking vacation time to go out and care for people who didn't have access to a nurse. And then this last one, I, I love this group of young people you know, who've all taken time off of, of the day jobs that they have and what are they doing? 
And what do you see when you see those pictures? What they're doing is they're being Emmanuel for other folks. They're being Emmanuel for people they don't even know to come along and say, look, I'm with you and I came out here to care for you. And in the process of that, to help people not be afraid, to, to dial down the anxiety and to help them find hope. They are Emmanuel for the people they're ministering to. Why am I sharing this story? Because there's 30,000 of you who are watching this sermon. And, and my hunch is that there are, well, right now, COVID Care Force says they need 100 more nurses to go out for two-week stints over the next couple of months. I'm just wondering if there aren't 100 nurses who are watching this sermon right now. And God may be saying to you, hey, you know, I'm talking to you. There are people out there who need Emmanuel. Can you go be Emmanuel? Can you embody my presence and my love? Can you put flesh put skin on my love for them, and that when they feel your love and care, they're going to know somehow maybe you are able to bear witness to your faith in such a way. Maybe it's just a cross you're wearing, but somewhere along the way, maybe it's saying, can I pray with you after you're done treating them? But to be able to let them see that you've come because Christ has called you to be there. And that changes things. And can I tell you a secret? When you do that, it brings joy to you. You find your own fear is dissipated your meaning is increased and the sense of being a part of what God is doing in the world just grows exponentially. When you say, here I am, Lord, send me. So I, I think about other ways that, that we have tried to do this as a congregation. And by the way, it doesn't matter where you are across the country. Look up Google search COVID Care Force. They'll take you wherever you are. By the way, they're also needing uh, four cars donated. Uh, really good mechanically uh, in cars in good mechanical condition because they've been renting cars out there for these nurses who fly out there. So, so if you have a car that you'd be willing to donate that's in really good shape, you know, Google search and let them know, hey, I heard about this on, at Church of the Resurrection. I'm willing to donate this car. If, if you live in the Kansas City, that'll be, Kansas City area, it'll be easier to donate a car. But if you're a nurse, you can come from anywhere across the United States to go out and serve. All right, so I think about some other things we've tried to do here at Church of the Resurrection, and I know all of you churches that are joining us and, and uh, where I'm serving as a guest preacher today, you're doing the same kinds of things. I just want to just remind our congregation a few of these things. So uh, I had conversations with area school superintendents about a month ago, and they said, you know, our teachers are really, they're, they're discouraged. They're trying to teach kids on, uh, online, and, you know, that, they weren't trained for that, and it's, it's not always going well. And then they're worried about their kids getting further behind. And, and you know, some of the schools came back, and then they, then they ended up canceling again. And, and I said, well, what can we do? And they said, well, is there any way you could just encourage our people? I'm like, well, we can do that. All right, so, so we ended up getting signs, you know, made up, and we put signs in front of schools, and we did a host of other things. But then, then after that, we said, well, what more can we do? And they said, you know, what about notes of encouragement? So we started with the Kansas City, Missouri public school system. You know, they were the first ones to say, hey, we'll take notes. Man, we'd love to have notes from your people. So I, on a Sunday, about a month ago, I said, are there 130 of you who would be willing to write notes, 25 to 50 notes each, to teachers and, and staff members at these schools? We didn't have 130 people who said yes. We had 564 people who said yes. I just want you to see some of them writing these notes. So I love this. You know, they're there and they're, they're writing the notes and addressing the envelopes and, and sealing them and, you know, praying over this whole process. Here's, here's some of the notes and what they look like, you know, to, in the next picture. The, you know, so these are, these are teachers in Olathe School District because after we'd finished KCMO, we had so many volunteers, we found Olathe said, well, we'll take some notes too. And so we wrote to every school teacher in Olathe as well. And then Bonner Springs heard about it, another school district out here in Kansas City. They said, hey, could you write notes to us too? And so these same people are writing these notes to Bonner Springs. And I'm sure there'll be other school districts we'll be sending these notes to. To every single employee in the school district, or at least every teacher I know, I think to the employees as well. We're praying for you. We thank you for what you're doing. You matter. And you know what they're doing? They're coming along to try to be Emmanuel, to remind people that God is with you. I mean, these are church people who are writing these things. That remind them God is with you. And you're going to make it through this. And God sees what you're doing and shines, you know, his face shines upon you. I love that. As I was preparing to share this sermon, I was getting ready to come preach. And I received an email from one of our guys. His name is Bruce Gaddis. And he's in the food ministry. And, and he just couldn't help himself. He just had to send me these pictures from the food warehouse. You know, we have a whole warehouse where we, where we you know, deliver the food. We purchase mass quantities. You know, you all usually deliver food here. But because we're not meeting in person, we're now buying food. And, and he said, Pastor Adam, I just want you to know, it's just so awesome. You know, we're going to be delivering all this food to four area food pantries. We support dozens of food pantries in Kansas City. But, you know, this is going to four. We're going to deliver it by, you know, by the end of this weekend. And I just wanted you to see, these were the pictures he sent. And when I looked at that, you know, all this food, you know what I see there? I see Emmanuel. 
I see families who are afraid that they're not going to be able to feed their kids because they don't have any, any money. They've run out of, run out of money. They're, they've lost their jobs. They're, they're scared. I see those families, and I see them receiving this food at these area food pantries, including Resurrections Food Pantry. And I, I, I imagine them feeling for a moment not afraid and peace and loved and like somehow it's going to be okay. And I hope they feel God is with us. These church people gave us this food to feed our families. God is with us. You see, sometimes people need someone with skin to make real the truth that God is always with us. And God uses human beings to do his delivering work and his healing work and his helping work. And when we do that, we bring hope to other people. We reduce their fear and give them peace. And we find joy in our own lives. I want to end with a story. This week, I received a text from a woman in our congregation, a young woman in her 30s, and, and her husband had died three years ago in November, died of cancer. And she said, you know, Pastor Adam, one of my best friends is now dying. I just, just found that, that, this out this week, and I, I, uh, I feel like God wants me to go and fly to where she is halfway across the country and to, and to just be there with her. And, you know, is there anything you think I should say? Like, I've looked at your book, Why, and I'm taking it with me, and I'm just trying to figure out what, what are the things I should say, you know, to her. And, and so I texted her back, and I said, uh, it's not so much about what you say. Now, here are some things you, you know, here are some things that you might, you know, you, you could say. But I said, it's not really about what you say. It's about you being there. We call this the ministry of presence. It's showing up. It's putting flesh, putting skin on God's love. It's, 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 it's holding somebody's hand. It's looking them in the eyes and saying that you love them. It's, it's saying, tell me, tell me the stories of your life that, are, that you know, bring you the greatest joy. Or, you know, it, it's not having the answer. Like you're not gonna have the wisdom and the right answer for why somebody is dying from cancer. Like it's not God's will. I said that, but make sure you make, sure, you know, make, make it known that this is not God's will. This is part of what happens in life. Cancer happens. And part of our quest as human beings is to find cures for these things and human beings working towards this. And God doesn't promise us that there's not going to be pain and suffering in this world. How, how could we think that's the promise of God when Jesus came and died at the age of 33, tortured to death on a cross? That's not the promise of God. The promises of God is that no matter what happens, I'm going to be with you. And when this life is over, I'm going to be with you. And there is a place where there's no more sorrow or suffering or tears. But until that time, I'm going to walk with you through hell and back on this earth and somehow it's going to be okay. I said, just be with her and let her see your love in the silence, in the holding of hands, in the telling of stories, the ministry of presence. And you know what? She went, she sent me pictures of her and her friend. And you know what I saw when I looked at those pictures? I saw Emmanuel, God with us, through Carrie to her friend. I want to ask you, who has been Emmanuel for you? I mean, clearly Jesus is Emmanuel, but who has embodied his love for you? Who was there when you were walking through a really tough time and they came alongside you? Who reminds you that God loves you and is with you all the time? And then this is the question I want to ask you. Really, I want you to think about this. Is whose Emmanuel will you be? How will you share the love of God and let people know that God is with them this season? Here's the invitation I have. Put your trust in Christ I mean, daily, Lord, I belong to you. I trust you are. I trust you're with me. I trust you're not going to let me go. Then I want you to think about how can you be Emmanuel for someone else? Let's pray. Oh God, how grateful we are to you that you came to us in Jesus. That you came to walk among us in the flesh to show us who you are, to show us that you are, to help us understand your will for our lives, to know in your suffering and death on the cross that we are forgiven and set free, and that in your resurrection, Jesus, we find that the worst thing is never the last thing, and there's always hope. We trust you. Help us to trust you when we're afraid, to pray, to sing, to worship, to listen. And then, oh Lord, help us to have our eyes wide open to see who is it who needs Emmanuel now? Who is it who needs us to put skin, to put flesh on the truth that you are and on your love so that they might find somehow seen in us your presence, your love. Use us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.
We thank Reverend Hamilton for sharing his words with us this morning and with many other churches across the nation. What a blessing it was. Now I'd like to bring some uh, news to your attention. Uh, the first is that our bishop has, in cooperation and conversation with the other bishops across the United States, has asked that our churches remain closed to indoor in-person worship for the foreseeable future. Since COVID cases are still on the rise in Illinois, and we know that here in Effingham County, they get worse, um, we want to be as safe as possible. And that means, unfortunately, that we will be gathering online for Christmas Eve, as well as for the Sundays to come. And so we will be sharing more information specifically about Christmas Eve service for you. Um, but I wanted you to know in advance that it will be online. Also want to let you know there are still nuts available. So if you would like to uh, get some nuts to share with family and friends to uh, give for your baking, please let Wyvon know. There are some great things available here. Pecans, uh, pecan clusters, dark sea chocolate dark sea salt caramels, milk chocolate pecans, milk chocolate cashews, bridge mix, milk chocolate cranberries. I give those the thumbs up. Uh, sweet and salty trail mix and dark chocolate almonds. All of those are great gifts. If you'd like to give me some chocolate covered cranberries, I'm not going to refuse the gift. I'm just going to say it right now. <laughs> so anyway, if you would like to get some of those, go ahead and contact Yvonne, uh, 4836753. And so then, friends, um, I wanted to let you know that we still have food pantry open on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 1 until 3, and that uh, Narcotics Anonymous continues to meet here on Thursday nights at 7 o'clock. Anticipating what is to come, knowing that Christmas is getting closer, still wedding, waiting but still celebrating, let's sing our final hymn for the morning, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It's number 240 in the United Methodist Hymnal.
of this pandemic, you know that you can go forth and share Emmanuel, that you can cry out with joy that the Prince of Peace is coming, that new life has arrived, and that grace is here. So go out in that peace and that knowledge until we meet together again. Amen.